framing, prints, posters, and monthly exhibits of original art. Open weekdays 10 to 5 or by appointment at 96 Main Street in Belfast, 338-6465 or thebelfastframer.com. Some like it hot, and some like it cool. Hi, I'm Larry. Whichever way you like it, you'll love Jazz Straight Ahead. So join me Wednesdays, 6 to 8 p.m. That's Jazz Straight Ahead. Just jazz, real jazz. Wednesdays, 6 to 8, on WERU-FM. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. And the time is 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor. Stay tuned for Common Health with your host, Jim Fisher. Calling all listeners, we need you to join our dialogue on health in Maine. On November 3rd, a referenda asked voters whether to repeal recent legislation repeating, uh, <clears throat> permitting same-sex marriage. New limits on taxation, bonds to fund transportation, decriminalization of medical marijuana, and more. Join us as we examine the public health dis- dimensions of the November 3rd referenda. This is Jim Fisher of the Hancock County Planning Commission and host of Common Health. I'm here to moderate. Your job is to call in with your prescriptions for healthy people and healthy environments. Uh, we'll be tag-teaming today. I've got two guests on, and we're going to start in a minute with uh, Kay Wilkins. but. Let me give you the numbers. You can write them down, and then when you have a question or comment, you can call us. Uh, You can call locally at 469-0500, or you can call toll-free at 866-625-9378. So if you haven't suffered from referenda burnout already, I wanted to look at the health dimensions of various referenda that are coming along, and there are quite a few in Maine this year. Number one is on... uh, uh, a, a, a repeal referenda to uh, repeal the same-sex marriage law. We'll be talking about that in detail in just a minute. Referenda two is uh, calls for a tax reduction for c- citizens who buy certain fuel-efficient cars. Another is uh, number three is repealing law mandating school restructuring. Number four increases uh, government spending. It, it's uh, the Tabor two, if you like, is number four, and that's to put caps on spending. And and uh, number five is to decriminalize marijuana used medically. Number six is a bond initiative, and number seven is to um, increase the amount of time for certifying uh, signatures for referenda. So it's a referenda about referenda. But let's start with number one. And joining me now on the phone is Kay Wilkins, kind of pinch hitting uh, due to some communications mistakes on my part. But good morning, Kay. Good morning. It's so good you're here. And uh, I can't, I'd like you, if you can take a minute to talk about a little bit about yourself and how it is you became involved in the No On One campaign. Uh, I became involved for um, altogether personal reasons. My partner, Diana, and I have been a couple for 21 years, and um, we very much want to get married. There's uh, reasons just in terms of of justice, but also in terms of uh, protections uh, that we lack without uh, being able to be married. And um, so 21 years is a long time. Uh, what kind of a, do you have some kind of legally recognized relationship now? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, we have uh, done everything that we can do legally. Maine does have a, a registry, and we are in that. But more importantly, we um, spent some major dollars to uh, see a good lawyer and get every get medical powers of attorney and um, living wills, all of that written for us. Um, And so we have all of that in place. But in spite of that, we are still very vulnerable. 
I see. Well, why do you why do you suppose this measure is so controversial? It seems like it, it, certainly in your case, some a partnership been been around been together twenty one years, very stable, um, and you have most of the legal, uh, I guess, benefits of marriage. Not quite all of them, but why is why do you suppose this is a controversy now? I think it's a controversy because it comes down to uh, how. Um, gay and lesbian people are not uh, treated as equals, and um, I, I, th I think it just comes down to bigotry, ultimately. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been making progress in other states. Uh, can you tell us how, how, how you see it moving nationally? It's been making very slow progress in other states, and none of what we do in Maine will address uh, the inequities on the federal level, which are very important in terms of survivor benefits for Social Security and so forth. Uh, but regardless of that, um, it would be good to make some progress. Um, the other northern New England states, well, the other New England states except for Rhode Island uh, have marriage equality. Uh, Vermont uh, has had domestic partnerships and realized that was inadequate and moved to marriage this year, as did New Hampshire. The difference between Maine and um, our two and and our our states around us are that uh, we have a very easy people's veto process, which means that our opponents could rise up and challenge this new law, whereas that's much more difficult in New Hampshire and Vermont. So marriage has been accepted there. Um, have you looked at this in other countries? I'm curious if um, if there are many countries now that are allowing same-sex marriage. There are a growing number of them. Uh, the longest has been the Netherlands, but um, also um, the Scandinavian countries. Um, it's increasingly um, going, becoming the norm in all of um, Europe. So we're not, we're not, I guess in that sense, we're not leading the way in Maine. No, um, we're not. <laughs> as we so often do with, with, our, uh, with, with good intentions. But so uh, in, in, in this case, it comes down to pretty close to home. It was Senator Dan Dennis Damon, who represents a large part of Hancock County, was one of the sponsors of the legislation, and he advocated for it. He was, he was the primary sponsor for primary this legislation, sponsor. yes. And when the, the bill passed, it. Um, it, it has yet to be implemented, though, right? That's right, because um, whenever um, a people's veto arises, it freezes the actual implementation of a law. It's not particular to this one. Uh, but what that does is, um, in one sense, save us from the situation in California with Proposition 8, where first it was voted in, then some people got married, then it was challenged and then defeated, leaving a group of people very much in limbo. At least we don't have that. Um, I suppose that's something to be grateful for. Here's one very significant issue for us is there have been no states in which at the ballot marriage has won, not any. Um, it has always been won either through legislative action that wasn't challenged or through judicial action. But um, 33 states have, in one form or another, voted um, on marriage equality, and um, Maine would really be the first, which is why all the eyes of the nation are upon us in this. Yeah, but it does raise some basic constitutional question about whether the majority has the right to vote the rights of a minority. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I... In the 60s, would it have been put to popular vote whether to integrate schools? What uh, and how would that have worked? Yeah, uh, yeah. If, if this is indeed a, a civil rights issue because we're not talking here about religious marriage. We're talking about civil marriage. And... Um, so the right to marriage is indeed a civil right, and can you imagine what would have happened had Mississippi um, voted on school integration, for, for example? 
It, well, in a way, they, they did, but they, it didn't matter. Um, right, right. <laughs> the law prevailed. Right. I, and I hope that listeners will take an opportunity to call in with your questions or comments. Uh, right now, we're talking about Referenda 1, which is um, a marriage equality referendum, which will be on the November 3rd ballot. You can call locally at 469-0500, or you can call toll-free at 866-625-9378. So, uh, in a personal sense, one of the real benefits is legal, that you two can um, get additional rights by going through civil marriage. What are some of those uh, benefits? Well, it, you know, Jim, it might be worth stopping before we go any further, though, and just l- let me say what the wording on the ballot is. So that oh, and I are... meant to read it, too. Yeah, if yeah. you have it or I can read it. Uh, no, I've got it right here. Um, and uh, that will help frame, I think, the rest of the conversation. Here's what it says on the ballot. Do you want to reject the new law that lets same-sex couples marry and allows individuals and religious groups to refuse to perform these marriages? So there's an exception for religious groups that's strongly stated here. And the wording says, do you want to reject the new law so in order to protect Maine equality, uh, people need to vote no. Uh, that's important to keep squared away in one's head. I've been doing a lot of phone banking, and people are still confused about, let's see, I want to protect Maine equality. Is that a yes or a no? It's a no. <laughs> yeah, so, so now you, back to your question, which was? Well, the legal benefits of, 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 of having a civil marriage... The, you. the legal benefits, one major one, because we're an older couple, and um, so we're certainly thinking ahead. Uh, one of them is that uh, in spite of all the paperwork we've done, we're told that we become legal strangers, in other words, not next of kin to one another um, upon death. We are not next of kin, and married couples are, um, and therefore a funeral director can't deal with the survivor, for instance, but must find a next of kin, in our case, one of our children. Um, Our children are supportive of us, but can you imagine the situation for couples where that's not the case or where there are hostile relatives? It can be a a really um, ugly and awful scene, and certainly all the worries around that um, don't enhance anyone's mental health. I know your show is about health, and there are a couple things to mention there with regard to children. Um, The children of same-sex couples are really disadvantaged when their parents are denied the legal protection of marriage. Um, For example, children of unmarried couples are less likely to have family health insurance, for one thing, and um, children are less vulnerable, of unmarried couples are less vulnerable when a parent dies. So there's, there's some real protections for families uh, in marriage that we are denied. So um, uh, since, you, since you've raised the issue of health, I think, and that is the, the title of the show, I, I think this is worth pursuing a little further. Have you felt that, that do you feel that same-sex couples denied this also suffers additional stigma because of that? Would it change how you think society would view your relationship? Um, I think so, uh, and um, I think this is this is uh, a particularly impactful on younger families with children in school. Um, those, in spite of what our opponents have said, um, there are plenty of families who have um, who are same-sex couples with children in school, and it's so important that children from all sorts of families. Uh, be honored and respected, including our families. I have a feeling you have call waiting. <laughs> We're getting a funny fluttering noise. No. The, okay, well... Um, I don't. Well, I, I'm not sure what that sound was, but I think it's passed. The, uh, so I guess it, you know, one thinks at first that a same-sex couple wouldn't have children, but very often, I suppose, you've, you've been married earlier and, or have adopted children. Is adoption going to be affected by this? Uh, no, um, the adoption is already taken care of in Maine law. Um, partners um, partners can adopt um, the child, the natural child, in a couple. Um, there also can be joint adoption in Maine. 
And um, I, I, I suppose sort of the epidemiologist, the epidemiologist of me looks at spread of um, diseases uh, from informal sexual relationships, and it, it, it has generally been to the benefit of society to try to form stable unions. That's something I've worked on in several countries, just finding policies that help people get married and stay married or get into some kind of relationship that lasts. And it seems somewhat ironic in this country with, with AIDS and other diseases spreading sexually that we seem to be discouraging that sort of relationship. Um, I agree, and here's, here's a funny piece of this. Um, our opponents talk about all the general uproar and disruption that, um, that marriage for same-sex couples will, will cause. Um, and the devaluing of marriage, and yet um, the state with the longest record now of marriage equality is Massachusetts, and Massachusetts has the lowest divorce rate in the country. So uh, one hmm. can hardly see it as being disruptive there. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's a little unclear how one marriage affects another one in any case. Um, what about... Uh, Hospital hospitalization is that is that all covered now with the current laws? Is it separate equal, but equal working there? Um, it's work. I I have to speak to my own experience um, with a, a partner who um, it was seriously ill at one point, and um, right. I was treated with great respect and really listened to in our area hospitals and by area doctors. And I did have, but I was asked to. Um, produce the uh, the uh, power of attorney for medical matters that I have, and um, so I carry papers with me all the time. Um, and when we're out of state, we carry all of these papers with us. And straight couples obviously never think to do that or need to do that. Yeah, and it's just assumed that one speaks for the other. Right, and and I suppose the fact that. Um, for a married heterosexual couple, very often the insurance itself lists the full family on it, so that makes it a, sort of indisputable for the hospital, right. whereas right. if you have separate insurance policies, it may be a little harder to gain credibility. Right. Um, I believe we have a caller on the line. I'm waiting to see Joel's patching them through. We do have a caller, so if you'll go ahead with your first name and your town, you can give us a question or comment. My name is Rainbow, and I am, live in Anson. And my comment is that because I cannot get married to a person I love, I'm again a second-class citizen. So to me, it's very much a question of equal rights. Why can't I have the same right as my heterosexual friends? That's the comment. Well, thank you. Um, and certainly one with which I agree. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, I couldn't, couldn't argue with that. I, I hope that other people who maybe feel differently will also feel free to call in. Are you still on the line, Rainbow? Nope, she's off, because I thought it would have been interesting to follow up with other questions about how, how she's felt, if she's felt the sting of discrimination at any point uh, because of her relationship. Uh, what about that question of discrimination? Is that do you feel in in Maine? I, I guess I'd like to think we're a fairly enlightened, enlightened part of the world where where there'd be widespread acceptance. Is there still any sense of of uh, discrimination that you experienced? Okay. Uh, well, I was asked one time uh, some years ago uh, not to return to um, a B and B where my partner and I had been staying, um, but that's not part of the present law. Um, the, the issue as we face uh, this election is that the latest polling shows us um, dead even. It's 48% to 48%. So it comes down to who's able to get their supporters out to vote. Um, that's, that's what it's come down to. So there's obviously still a lot of discrimination in the state of Maine. One of the most interesting examples of that. Uh, I was working the, at the Bucksport Bay Festival this summer and talking to voters there uh, about this issue. And um, one woman who clearly was not a supporter really glared at me and said to me when I asked her about marriage equality, I don't want you to have what I have. 
Hmm. Okay. There must only be so many. There's marriages. only so much to go around. <laughs> right. And she's got one, and I can't have it. Your happiness takes away from mine. Right. Uh, we do have another caller on the line. Thank you. If you'll give us your first name, where you're calling from, and add a question or comment. Yes. Hi. This is Becky calling from Prospect Harbor. Um, I just wanted to say that over the years, as we've been debating this, a lot of it comes down to rights of um, same-sex couples and. To me, it's always been, and I'm a heterosexual couple, is that their love is exactly like my love. And if you can call my love and, and have a marriage around my love, and their love is exactly the same, then I don't think a, you know, a civil union, or it should be called anything else but marriage, or should be treated any differently. And I'm not looking at it from the right standpoint, but acknowledging the love is the same as my love with my husband. And that's all I'd like to say. Well, thank you, Becky. Thank you yes. for your comments. I want to encourage other people who are listening. We'll be on with, with Kay uh, talking about uh, referenda number one for another nine or ten minutes. And if you want to enter a comment or a question, you can call locally at 469-0500. Or you can call toll-free at 866-625-9378. So, Kay, you've been working pretty much full-time on the No on One campaign. What kinds of... Uh, is it all about get out the vote then? It's all about get out the vote now, certainly. And we're encouraging people to vote early. Um, I, I think you know, Jim, and, and many of our listeners know, I hope, that uh, you can go into your town office today and vote. They're ready for you. They're happy to see you. So, you don't have to wait until Election Day. You can walk in today and vote. Yeah, because I know I'm, I'm one who gets tied up with work. I, I, I hate to go home some nights. I've got so much work, and, I, and I, uh, I miss my chance to vote. So I voted early this year. We have another caller on the line. If you'll give us your first name where you're calling from, you can go with your question or comment. Hi, I'm David calling from Belfast. Hi, David. Uh, the um, comments made at the beginning of the show were really informative to me um, in regard to the fact that it's, you know, the rights for homosexuals, gays, is not a, not a federal, it's not federal. Uh, and, and the comments about referendums in Mississippi uh, were very interesting to me. Uh, it made me think that the, that the real uh, um, battle, the real efforts, need, need to be federal uh, <laughs> on that level, because it, cause I, I, I'm hearing frustration from from you know, you folks, um, about the uh, lack of progress and its building, <laughs> uh, as, as far as I can tell. And, uh, and that the only way, it's, it, as, as happened in the 60s, uh, it seems like, the, I don't know about the only way, but it, it seems crucial that, uh, that there'll be uh, federal laws in, in this regard. Kay, can you respond to that? Yes, and the, there's beginning to be some glimmers of hope in that regard as well. Uh, the uh, Mary Bonato, who is uh, one of the principal lawyers in Massachusetts um, that gained marriage equality there, uh, has now filed suit on behalf of Massachusetts people who are married in Massachusetts and yet don't uh, don't have those federal rights, and so that's that's been joined um, specifically on this, but on on other um, issues relating to gay and lesbian rights, um, there's certainly beginnings to be glimmers of of uh, movement there on subject things like um, don't ask, don't tell in the military and other non-marriage related issues. Yeah, it seems that at the federal level, it's been the military uh, don't ask, don't tell policy that's had the most play right now. It probably would not be a good time for this to go to the Supreme Court. Right, right. Well, it's just going to be a, a long, protracted uh, struggle. Um, and, uh, you know, all these <laughs> well, <laughs> referendums and votes, you know, and, and, and everything. But it's uh, like it's just when it comes down to getting out, you know, the vote, it's a, it's a, like you said, it's just that it comes down to here's this issue that comes down to, to and that uh, who can get the most votes out on a given day. Uh, and that even that sounded that, that kind of made me feel uh, kind of sad. <laughs> well, I hope you vo have you voted yet? 
Uh, no. Oh, I'm get yet. yourself to the polls. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. vote early, right? I right, mean, vote yeah. early, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I did that in the, the, the last election, yeah. And well, yeah. yeah, my wife and I will be, um, we'll be helping out. Well, we do what we can. Good. David, thank you for your call. We're going to okay. we're going to open up the line yep. for other callers. We've Absolutely. got about 5 minutes left on this topic and um, people can call us toll-free at 866-625-9378 if you want to get your voice in on uh, referenda 1, the same-sex marriage referenda. Uh, Kay, the, the issue of federal versus low state is important, I suppose, because if, if Maine does approve marriage, is that something you can transport to other states? Is it recognized? Uh, one would think it, it should be, because there's, there's this doctrine called full faith and credit from state to state. But in fact, because so many states have passed uh, laws negating that, that's going to have to be settled in the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, no, it's not transportable. Um, with some exceptions. Um, interestingly enough, although you can't get married in New York State if you're a gay and lesbian couple, uh, if you're married in other states, they will recognize your marriage in New York. So it, it varies from state to state, like so many other things do, unfortunately, in this regard. I'm curious about... Um yeah, so often people really rally to the polls if it's something that affects them in the wallet. And I'm not sure as this one does, but is there some uh, tax consequence of your not having a, a legal marriage at this point? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But those consequences are on the federal level primarily, not on the state level. Although there are more than 300 state laws that um, provide legal protections to married couples, um, mostly it's an annoyance in terms of what I have to go through in, in filing taxes here in Maine, um, some slight consequence in terms of income tax, but it's, it's really um, financially mostly on the federal level. We have another caller on the line, so if you'll give us your first name and where you're calling from, we'd love to have your question or comment. Hi, this is Gloria, Hi, Gloria. calling from Unity. Um, this is just a little detail, but you mentioned that Massachusetts has the lowest divorce rate in the country. And that's because Massachusetts is the youngest state in the country because of all the colleges. So those people, after they finish their education or finish their early teaching career, leave Massachusetts and go elsewhere. So, well, <laughs> yeah, so that divorce rate is not related to the gay marriage law there. Um, that, that was all that I wanted to point out. Well, yeah, and it, I, I don't suppose that it would be easy to attribute divorce rates easily to anything, and, and your point's probably an interesting one, certainly one that a demographer like me would latch on to. Uh, it's the same issue with, with dropout rates in high schools, that if, if students leave before they drop out, then they're not counted as a dropout, but it's a, uh, yeah, okay. there are different ways to leave the state. Right. Um, interesting point. Well, thank you for your call. Yeah, it, it, I do think it's it's telling that, um, and Kay, maybe you have some data on this, but the the uh, there's been a long-standing debate about nature versus nurture with with homosexuality, and and most of the evidence I'm seeing lately argues for nature that you're, there's some kind of genetic trait, or you're born with a tendency towards being homosexual, and that's irrespective of religion or or the sort of the politics of your parents. Well, you know, I I just I, I don't know, and I'm not yeah. sure that it matters at all. I mean, nobody spends any kind of time trying to figure out whether people are heterosexual because of nature and nurture. <laughs> I, I don't hear anybody speculating on that. Um, but uh, it, it just plain, I think, doesn't, doesn't matter, and I think it's nuanced. And I, I, I do use the metaphor of, of left-handedness sometimes when I'm talking with groups about this. Uh, it used to be that uh, left-handedness was considered because it was it was minority and it was odd-looking and it so forth. It it was considered evil and um, mothers were blamed and so forth for left-handedness. And uh, yet somehow we've come to accept that there are indeed people who are left-handed. And so what? Yeah. No. I I, I sympathize. Um, we've got. Another caller on the line, uh, if you'll give us your name, where you're calling from. We'd love to hear your question or comment. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, I, I, this, this subject is really getting to me because uh, um, 
it's causing me a lot of uh, confusion and turmoil, to be truthful. I don't know about hundreds of other people or thousands in the state of Maine, but these commercials, you know, it's it's gotten to a position where it's just, it's just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one who just jumps because somebody wants a vote. You know, they're going to have to convince me. And I've been asking the people on the left and people on the right, you know, convince me if you want my vote. And uh, I've been thanked for, you know, reasoning this out instead of just rushing into it. Because I myself, as a red man in white America, I understand racism and discriminatory issues. And some people are probably tired of hearing it, but, you know, that's tough cookies, you know. If you want want to talk about, you know, special rights or not special rights, if you want to talk about rights, then, you know, I can tell you about us Indians, how it took a long time to vote and to go into bar rooms or whatever. But we still get discriminated today because we're still considered as a national threat to security. So, you know, people, you know, the gay movement, you know, I've been hearing a lot of conflict, even some gay people um, that I know personally on a respect level, they have told me that, you know, they, you know they're not agreeing with it, you know, and, and some people might, might say, well, that's strange and odd, but they have a right to freedom of speech, they have a right to a decision if they want to vote for it or against it. And, uh, you know, just because one person is gay doesn't mean he gets along or she gets along with other gays, which I found out is true, too. Okay, well, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. And I I think the reason we're doing this program is just that, to try to bring the facts forward and uh, some of the issues. I'm going to... also have to thank Kay because we're we're going to be transitioning in just a minute. But any any final comments, Kay, before we we move on to Tabor and other tax issues? <laughs> well, I think I think the strongest thing I've heard from Mainers is is this whole thought about live and let live. Maybe they don't know anybody personally who's gay, and maybe they don't even hold, like the whole idea. But they really do believe that that. Uh, Mainers, as Mainers, we are fair people, and, and we believe in live and let live. And I would remind people that if that's how you feel, it's vote no on one. Okay, well, Kate, thank you so much for your time. And uh, our studio engineer is calling in our next guest. This is, I, I always have guests in the studio, but today I'm in here alone with... with uh, with um, lots of help from the engineering room to call in other people and get them on the line. But I'll, I'll remind listeners, this is a call-in show, and I, my job is mostly to moderate, to try to keep the, inf- the discussion flowing. And we're here to talk about the referenda that you'll be voting on, hopefully you have voted on or will vote on by November 3rd. You can join the conversation locally at 469-0500, or you can call toll-free at 866 866- Six two five nine three seven eight, and a big thank you to Kay Wilkins for coming in and kind of the last minute to join me to talk about referenda number one. Now I'm going to have uh, a new guest whose name is Lizzie Reinhold. You there, Lizzie? Yeah, I am. Hooray! It works. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here to talk about two referenda that do hit you in the wallet. There's a referenda, and the numbering's confusing because referenda two is about auto excise tax, and referenda four is about Tabor two. Yeah. Uh, but they're both a, they're both uh, citizen initiatives to uh, create new uh, uh, restrictions on taxation or new ways to reduce taxes, which uh, is I think going to get people's interest. But uh, before we get into the conversation, I don't want to forget that WERU is hosting a town hall debate on Tabor Two, which will be this uh, coming Monday at the Alamo Theater from six to eight o'clock, and they're going to have representatives of both sides there to debate the pros and cons of of the taxpayers bill of rights so-called but uh let's start lizzie tell me a little bit you're i i I found a little bit about you on the internet you're well well represented there you're born in cornville yeah and uh you've traveled and worked all around the world though and but you're back in maine and you're an advocate for a variety of causes uh, and you're working now with engage maine uh, can you tell us a little bit about what brought you back to Maine? Uh, yeah, well, um, I left for college and spent some time in New York and Boston and then uh, went abroad, taught English in Taiwan and shot a documentary in Costa Rica. And 
um, really, it was always my goal to come back. I had the most amazing public school education. Um, I had the greatest upbringing in Maine, and I love rural Maine. Um, so my goal was to originally come back, and I worked at Channel 6 for a little while and was in Portland, and I've just been slowly working to make my way back to, to rural Maine so that I could really have an impact there. I love the small communities, and um, I, I feel like really when it comes down to it, you can be anywhere in the world and meet someone from Maine, and there's always this really tight kinship and bond. And I think that really speaks to the, the integrity of the state. Well, let me read Tabor, too, as it appears on the ballot. I think I've got it right. Do you want to change the existing formulas that limit state and local government spending and require voter approval by referenda for spending over those limits and for increases in state taxes? Well, there's a simple question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what sparked your interest in this one? Um, really, I, you know, Tabor impacts every single sector of our society in Maine. Um, if you think about it, kids, education, health care, there are so many different services that we get as citizens from our government, and that's all because of our taxes that we pay. Um, and I think that there's sometimes a, a, dis, a disconnect between the services we get and, and the money that we pay to the state. And to me, it's so important because putting a reckless tax initiative um, in, instituted in Maine, uh, like Tabor, will absolutely hurt so many different sectors of our society. And, and really what it's going to do is also hurt our ability to grow as a state and really have economic development, invest in businesses, be future leaders. Very rarely do kids leave Maine like I, like I did and come back because there aren't the jobs here. Um, and it's really important to me, knowing that I want to raise a kid's family here, that I want to get married here, um, and, and that my parents are going to grow old here, knowing that we have programs and services that are, are going to help them, knowing that my kids are going to go to public ed- schools that are better than the ones I went to, even though I got an amazing public school education, um, and knowing that our university system is going to be you know, competitive with other universities throughout the state and, also, uh, and country, and also know that tuition prices are going to stay at a reasonable level. Um, Right now, the world is really changing quite rapidly, and I think our legislators have done a really good job trying to deal with those changes and think in long-term planning, and Tabor stops that ability. It, it hurts our local control, and it forces devastating cuts to every sector of society. There's not a single Maine resident who won't be affected in some sort of way because of question four, if it passes, which is why people need to vote no. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess you take you take, you have a position on this. Um, I, I, yeah. the, the tax caps are nothing new. I I I recall going way back. There was I think it was Proposition Ten in California. Massachusetts had a Proposition Two and a Half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colorado, I guess, is the only state that's passed something like what we're calling the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Um, have you got any sense of what the effects of those? tax caps have been on those states? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, generally tax caps aren't, aren't that effective. And, and de- depending upon the tax cap depends upon the repercussions that you have. Um, the one that's closely related to ours, which is almost identical to ours, is the Tabor that was passed in Colorado. Um, Tabor actually isn't a homegrown idea in Maine. It wasn't created strictly based upon sort of the makeup of, of the state. It was actually born in Colorado by a man in Colorado Springs. And when it passed in Colorado, um, it had had a devastating impact, especially when we heard that hit that first recession in in the late 1990s. Um, And and those impacts resulted in, you know, almost privatizing education, uh, higher education, that is, um, because they didn't have the money to be able to fund their university systems anymore. Um, They had extreme job loss, more so than any other state in the Rocky Mountain states, and they haven't ever recovered from that job loss. Uh, They faced at one point, you know, a a billion-dollar budget crisis um, and had seen so many cuts that even, you know, the Republican governor um, and the entire business sector uh, got together. They paid, you know, they led a $10 million campaign, $7 million of which was donated by the businesses, saying, you know, our economy can't grow. We can't have businesses in the state because of Tabor and this tax cap, and we need to, um, we need to do what we can to get rid of it. Um, so that's a really the closest comparison that, that Maine has. 27 other states have actually seen Tabor, and they've all rejected it. Um, Colorado is the only one who have ever passed it, and Mainers have rejected it twice already before. Have, have these kinds of measures been considered by the legislature as opposed to using a citizen referenda? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, you know, there was testimony in front of the legislature this year uh, regarding Tabor, um, and, you know, from 
looking at analyses, they were able to understand that it, it wasn't a, a good one to follow through with, which is what led it to be a citizen's initiative. Yeah, and not the first time in Maine. No. Um, what, I'm curious, this is a, a, a cap on state taxes, mm-hmm. not on local taxes. Oh, no, is it's that, a cap oh, it's on both. local. Okay, so it's local both. governments would also lose the ability to raise property tax rates um, to meet current spending needs. And, and what's really frustrating about that, however, is, is the fact that it takes away our local control. I don't know about you, but growing up in Cornville, um, the town meeting was a big deal uh, for, for me and my family and for everyone in the area. We'd go, we'd get to talk about the budget, we'd weigh in on the budget. We'd, you know, it was really a general consensus of the entire community as to what we were spending our money on. Um, and Tabor eliminates that because you're suddenly ruling by equation and there isn't enough money. And so you know, rather than saying, well, no, actually, we want to spend you know, such and such amount on plowing our roads, you can't because it's just not there. And if you spend over that Tabor limit, it goes out to a really expensive referendum. And one of the fine prints in the Tabor legislation is that you have to send out a mailer to every eligible voter. Um, and that can cost a lot of money. I know in Lewiston, if they were to send out a mailer for one referendum question, it would cost $16,000 just for that, you know, before the election even takes place. Um, So that's an example of how it increases inefficiency in state government, also increases costs in state and local government, which is something that it it claims to not do. Yeah, normally when when there's a tax policy change, there there are some winners and some losers. A lot of people maybe not affected so much. Do you have a sense of who the winners would be in the Tabor event? Would some people, for instance, they'd have lower taxes, so wouldn't wouldn't they be winners? Um, no, because even though it may appear that they have lower taxes, um, one of the unintended consequences of Tabor is the fact that there isn't enough money to maintain services. So fees increase. So yeah, maybe you see a, you know, a smaller increase in your taxes. At the same time, you're shelling out more and more money to do things like let your kids play sports, um, which some people in the already are doing. Um, or you're shelling out more money to go to state parks, or you're paying for your water when you didn't used to pay for your water. Um, lifestyles just get, you know, life gets more expensive because where it used to be provided by the government and used, you know, and our taxpayer dollars are used to, you know, provide services, now it's just being paid in fees. Um, and in addition to that, if you look in Colorado, a very small minority of Mainers actually ever saw money come back to them. Uh, I mean, minority of Coloradians or Coloradans saw money come back to them. And in addition to that, um, a lot of times one of the repercussions was increased property taxes because on the local level, people were so frustrated that they weren't getting their services. They were like, by all means, just increase them, please, increase them, please. Um, you know, we want to have our roads plowed. So it, it, it promises lower taxes, but it doesn't actually um, it doesn't actually fulfill that promise. So there's there's the I guess the possibility that the state taxes will be held in check, and local communities will have to go through an override effort, and they'll end up picking up those extra costs locally. Um, yes, somewhat, and and state taxes will be held in check. So there are also times where we'll also have statewide referendum questions. So, oh, I see. So um, <laughs> more referenda. <laughs> oh, you know, it could be, I, I know that I, I think of um, Prop 13 in Colorado at this point. Um, when you think about it, they have, um, their ballots are so long. They have, you know, 40 referendum questions that they're voting on. Um, and in Maine, we could get to that point where we have a, a tremendous amount of local referendum questions and a tremendous amount of state referendum questions. And and if you really think about it logically, uh, if you're ruling by equation and you don't have enough money to spend on, on services, what it comes down to is you'll end up figuring out, well, what's most likely to pass in a referendum? What do we put on the ballot so that we know that people are going to pay for this? Uh, which is also a scary concept. So it, and, and it ends up leading to really expensive referendum election, elections where we have people you know, spending you know, millions of dollars trying to just get one referendum passed. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll echo an experience I had just last week. I was in Reading, Massachusetts, um, and uh, I was surprised a cousin lives there. And they, because of Proposition 2.5, the municipal governments uh, were, were forced to keep their budgets in check and still are. And one of the consequences was this, this fairly affluent municipality with, with tight-knit neighborhoods 
has no school bus system. <laughs> I was shocked that <laughs> they they had to drop that. They couldn't fit in it fit having school buses in the budget. And while in rural Maine, where it's really expensive to transport kids right. long distances and buses, it would have been pretty cheap to do it there. But the what's happened then is it, either parents can subscribe to a private bus service or they can drive their kids. And a lot of parents end up driving their children to school and driving them home. And there's a cost there that they might not have calculated, I guess, when they reduced their taxes. Right. Uh, a tremendous cost of keeping people, parents out of the workforce just so they can provide chauffeuring services. Exactly. And in Maine, we don't really even have that luxury. I think of you know, rural Maine. Um, I, it was a half an hour drive to my school in the morning. Um, I know a lot of kids who, you know, parents definitely could not have afforded to be able to drive their kids to school. Um, we have a hard enough time having it so that we can keep employment rates up in rural Maine because people don't have the money to invest in their cars, um, and there are no jobs in the area. So, good. Well, um, we're gonna we're gonna keep on this theme of cars in just a minute, but I do want listeners to feel free to join the conversation. If you haven't suffered from referenda fatigue, join us <laughs> now. You can call locally at four six nine. 0500 or 866-625-9378. I'd particularly like to hear your comments on the referendum we're facing. If there's some reason you're opposing or supporting them or questions you have, this would be a good place to get the dialogue going. The other referendum I, I, I think you're involved with, Lizzie, is the main auto excise tax repeal question number two, and I'll read that. Do you want to cut the rate of municipal excise tax by an average of 55% on motor vehicles less than six years old and exempt hybrid or other alternative energy and highly fuel-efficient motor vehicles from sales tax and three years of excise tax? Another mouthful, and, mm. and I, I think it's probably more complicated than that. But it does seem this bill is aiming towards reducing pollution by getting rid of the clunkers, if you like, the fuel-efficient cars, encouraging hybrids. Is this a bad idea? Um, it's not a bad idea to try to be energy efficient, but this bill actually isn't trying to be energy efficient. If it wanted to be energy efficient, it wouldn't be providing um, tax relief to someone who buys a 20, uh, you know, hybrid Escalade that gets 20 miles per gallon. Uh, which it is, and it wouldn't be providing tax relief to someone who buys a brand-new Hummer. Um, you right, know, if, so all new you, cars, they don't have to be fuel-efficient. <laughs> well, in addition to that, I mean, if you buy a hybrid Escalade that gets 20 miles per gallon, you're getting three, you're getting three years exempt of excise tax and sales tax exempt. Uh, at the exact same time, someone who buys a you know, used 2004 Toyota Camry that gets 30 to 35 miles per gallon will see nothing at all. Um, so that makes that you know that makes no sense. What I think is you know I, I think it looks appealing to people, but if you actually think about it, there's there are far better ways to push green initiatives, and this is certainly not one of them. No, that's true. My my old Toyota Corolla may it rust in peace um, <laughs> or in pieces. <laughs> I got 40 miles per gallon. It wasn't a hybrid. Uh, right. A lot of a lot of older cars do get good mileage, so you can't equate necessary age with that. So what is the intent of the bill if it's, if it's not to encourage fuel efficiency? Just uh, a tax break for people who buy new cars? Um, you know, I, I think it's a tax break for people who can afford to buy new cars. Um, I think of the average Mainer, and really 68% of Mainers drive cars that are six years old or older that will see no relief from this whatsoever. And it'll also gut our communities of, um, of money that we need to pay for local roads and bridges for plowing. Um, so when it really comes down to it, the only way for those communities to make it up is increased property taxes. So, well, 68% of Mainers will see absolutely no re relief from this excise tax cut. They will see increased property taxes. So it's an unfair tax shift and, and really will end up taking more money out of Mainers' pockets. So how are municipalities reacting to this? Municipalities are outraged, um, really. The municipalities across the entire state have uh, voted to oppose this. Uh, our business sector has voted to oppose this. The... Uh, the statewide Chamber of Commerce has voted against it, Androscoggin Chamber of Commerce, uh, Bangor Chamber of Commerce, and uh, really, uh, we have there's pretty unanimous support across the entire issue that this is a this is a really bad idea um, that makes absolutely no sense uh, whatsoever. Simply because excise tax is really what we use um, or what communities use to drive revenue to maintain our roads, and when you think about it, we all use the roads. We should all pay to help maintain them, and the excise tax is you know, a pretty progressive tax that 
know, leverages, well, if you can pay this much on a car, you can pay this much to help maintain our roads. Yeah, it's, well, I'm a transportation planner. I echo that the uh, highway budgets, the road repair budgets are so low that we haven't even planned new work in years. We're just trying to catch up with old obligations. It's uh, all, it, the funding's very short. And actually, one of the ir- ironies of that is that as we move to more fuel-efficient cars, our revenues from gasoline excise taxes are going down. Right. Um, so I guess the saving grace would be as we move to new cars, the auto excise tax is significant unless we have um, tax proposals like this where we lose on both ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the towns are against it. It sounds like the business community is against it as well. Um, is there who, Who's supporting it? Uh, the people who put it on the ballot. Um, so that would be the main heritage policy centers for this as, a, as is main lead. Um, mm-hmm. As far as other supporters, um, you know, I don't, I don't see a very long list uh, of them, especially as in-state supporters. Um, on both these issues, you know, Tabor, we have a coalition of over 100 organizations and, uh, and, and businesses and labor unions and um, a whole plethora of, of people as, and towns and cities, as do we for question two. Um, and the other side, as far as I see, doesn't really have that rallying support of, of, of real Mainers who are coming out to say this is a good idea. Um, and it's probably because it, it isn't a good idea. So. <laughs> Well, I, I, for, certainly if you're contemplating buying a, a new hybrid uh, SUV, this might seem like the ticket, uh, but otherwise maybe not. Do you have any polling data on how Tabor 2 and the main auto excise taxes are doing right now? Um, well, there was a, a public poll that was just released that the excise tax question is, is doing um, pretty well. It's still a pretty close race, um, and as far as Tabor goes, we, we have a lot of work to do, but um, I I don't... Uh, you know, personally, I think that Tabor 2 is a very complicated issue, and, and when people really start digging into the details, they'll see, um, just as they have two times before, that this is a bad idea. Well, so. these are complicated, and I want to give out the uh, number one more time for listeners who might be interested. If you have questions about it, and I'm going to drill in a little bit more on Tabor in a minute, there are, of course, other referenda, and if you want to bring up other referenda callers, you can. There's, uh, we haven't even touched on school regionalization, medical marijuana, and some of these are have obvious health implications, some of them less so, but uh, you can call locally at 469-0500, or you can call toll-free at 866-625-9378. One of the questions I hear about, um, particularly the Tabor Initiative, is that yeah, municipal budgets right now are really tight. State budget's very tight. But the way the legislation is written, some people call it a ratchet, I guess, that if we if we bring in a, a rule like this, right, when, when there isn't enough money for social services, it's, it's much easier to further cut those than it is to actually increase funding to health and services. Is that, is that your read on this? Oh, yeah. Tabor's a complete ratchet. Um, uh, even, you know, Charlie Colgan, who's one of our most esteemed uh, economists in the state, said what Tabor will do is stick us in a permanent recession. Um, we're starting at a base year of 2010, which is, you know, we cut $500 million dollars out of our state budget. And yep. um, uh, to that point, what Tabor does is anything over the Tabor limit, all that excess revenue that we used to put in a rainy day fund or, or we put into programs that we haven't been able to fund for a really long time or road work, um, that we we would have to send back um, to, to state taxpayers. We don't get to keep it. Um, but in, in adding to that, uh, that just means we'll increase fees and, and such. So really that money that goes back won't really do justice to anyone, but it'll especially not do justice to our state budget because that means we're never able to sort of move ahead of where we currently are. And the equation that they use to, to calculate TABOR is based on consumer price index and population growth. Uh, Maine's population isn't really growing, and the consumer price index doesn't relate to government spending whatsoever. It's your grocery basket of, you know, things like housing or what you, you know, how much your milk increases. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with health care um, or, or all those other issues that the state um, works on so hard. So um, it does. It, it rashes you down so that you... You, your pie just keeps getting smaller as costs just keep getting larger. Yeah, and one of the, I guess, one of the situations we're facing in the WERU listening area is uh, that, that sort of the outer regions, Washington County and mm. and and uh, 
I guess, um, parts of Penobscot County have been experiencing population loss for some years. And even Hancock County and some of the counties that were growing pretty quickly through the 90s are actually level or declining at this point. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that our health costs go down, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. A lot of it means that we're, we're, we're an aging population and we, uh, we have this sort of double-edged problem of, of uh, aging with higher medical expenses, but also fewer people in the working working population, so those income taxes and things that are generated by work aren't as, as stable as the property tax or some of the other local taxes, excise right. taxes. So it's, it's, uh, it puts us in a tough bind. Right, and, and what happens with paper is, I mean, it's almost, I, I think of it as a snowball effect, because when you think about it, if you don't have enough money to fund health care, which if you were to uh, take and apply the average consumer price index, um, and look at our state budget and, you know, draw a graph and show what our, our budget would look like under Tabor and then take the average increase in health care costs and look at what we spend now. It's only a matter of years before health care squeezes out everything in our budget. So the only thing we're funding is health care, nothing else, no roads, no schools. Um, but if you also think about it, if you don't have enough money to provide health care, you know, if you, if you can't take care of our senior citizens, um, if we can't afford to, to support Medicare or Medicaid, if our wait lists get longer and more people are going to the emergency rooms, that has a huge snowball effect to health care costs. Um, premiums will increase, which means less businesses can actually afford to have their, uh, their um, employees on health insurance. So there are so many ripple effects, um, and that's what makes Tabor so complicated because, you know, you can't just say it's as easy as cutting taxes, it's as easy as paying, uh, putting an equation to government spending, and it makes the world a happy place. Well, no, the state spending is very complicated. There are a lot of people out there and a lot of needs, and one thing Tabor doesn't do is take into consideration that variation in population, how many people are getting old, how many people are young, and, and what are the different costs that are, are involved in that. Well, it sounds like both of these initiatives still have a lot of popular support, and um, it, it, it's coming down to the wire. What, what steps will you be taking to push for your cause, and what do you encourage people to do? Uh, well, when it comes down to it, um, A, I, I really encourage people to do the research, and there's a lot of, a lot of great research out there uh, around these two issues. Um, uh, as far as, as the campaign goes, we're working really hard to um, get out there to as many communities as possible and really educate people about Tabor. Um, we're doing a, a lot of GOTV efforts and um, making a lot of phone calls and trying to just talk to as many Mainers as possible um, in the last few weeks here. And um, as far as what others can do, I, I think that what's really important is word of mouth, talking to your neighbors, educating your neighbors. You know, if you're on a walk with someone tomorrow, um, you know, let them know how, how Tabor could affect their lives. You know, send an email to all of your best friends or um, bring it up at your next staff meeting. You can also write a letter to your editor um, or also, you know, help to volunteer for the campaign, um, which is as easy as uh, going onto our website and um, either giving us a call or... Um, your website is? It's votenoontabor.org. Well, that's a long name. We do have a caller on the line. Oh, if yay. you'll give us your first name and where you're calling from, we'd love to hear your question or comment. Yeah, I'm Frank, calling from my 1999 Buick Park Avenue, which gets pretty good gas mileage. <laughs> Hi, Frank. <laughs> I guess you don't get a tax break. <laughs> Don't want any. I don't, and I think this young woman's done a, a woman's done a great job on her explanation of Tabor, and Tabor's just another one of those right wing, you know, deals. As far as I can tell, we don't need any more right wing deals. And nice <laughs> tax, everybody should have to pay it. And no set. And in fact, I'm for a sales tax and no income tax. If you're rich and you can afford a Mercedes that gets three miles a gallon, pay a big sales tax on it and a big excise tax. Well, it's, it's an interesting idea, and certainly some European countries have gone towards value-added and consumption-based taxes so that we don't tax people for money that they were saving and investing, but the money they were using to buy things. Mm-hmm. Right, and she's correct. About 68% of people drive older cars in Maine. Yep. <laughs> okay, thank you. It was a good show. and I was, She's a, a real articulate job of... Uh, these other anti-tax people. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Thank you for calling. I'll remind listeners that if uh, if you're interested, Tabor too will be debated at the Alamo Theater next Monday from six to eight o'clock. You'll have a chance to hear both sides and add your questions. 
And we're coming to the end of our program as I come to the end of my notes. Uh, <laughs> be sure to visit our website, commonhealth.org, where you'll find helpful background on a variety of public health topics, including audio archives and a place for you to contribute questions for our future shows. Common Health theme music is Picabia, performed by Eric Horshack. A special thanks to our guests, Kay Wilkins and Lizzie Reinhold. Thanks to uh, engineering at WERU, Joel Mann in engineering, and our underwriters and members for supporting all of our public affairs and news programs. Common Health airs the third Wednesday of the month from 10 to 11 with support from the Hancock County Planning Commission, University of Maine Cooperative Extension, and Hancock County Coalition for Community Health. Join us on November 18th when we'll talk about SAD and NDD, that is Seasonal Affective Disorder and Nature Deficit Disorder. As we approach the longest nights of the season, we'll explore alternative explanations for the winter blues and look at environmental ways to manage seasonal depression. Thanks for listening and for your suggestions for future programs. Email us at, at, email us at commonhealth at weru.org and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Jim Fisher wishing you good health. <laughs>